Let me show you Africa as an entrepreneur. Africa is a fundamental part of the global economy. There are people building businesses in Africa, continental businesses that are huge businesses. So it's a vibrant, young market with lots of energy, talent, and skills. What can I do? What role can I play? What is my purpose? When we put our faith and our trust in God, He's the master strategist and always directs our path. God went after the very thing that could become a mammon stronghold in my life. He said He wants that. And every time it gets too difficult, I basically say, you are the one, this is your business, God. You will get the glory. There's the way the world does business and there's the way we do business. So come, come see that Africa. The size of our continent, along with our diverse cultures, provide us with rich insights into God and His creativity. We are excited to highlight the many influential voices of innovators and entrepreneurs across Africa. We will also feature some entrepreneurs from around the world who we think have important things to say, no matter where we call home. These are the stories of how businesses flourish and how his call to create continues to this day. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast, where we spotlight the voices of entrepreneurs and innovators shaping the marketplace across the continent. This week, we are featuring Didier de Villiers. Didier believes that what we wear says a lot about who we are. He is the man behind Margins, one of South Africa's leading fashion brands. The clothing company came about in the early 90s when his country was reeling from the end of apartheid and rediscovering itself as a nation. Didier saw creative expression as a way to heal wounds, bring unity, and form a uniquely South African identity. He used his God-given gifts of design to create clothing that captured the spirit of the South African youth. The brand spread beyond his home and beyond the African continent, garnering attention from more traditional fashion hotspots in Europe and the United States. But Didier never lost his vision, a relentless commitment to telling the African story through uniquely African streetwear. He joins us today to talk about the story and how art has the power to bring people together, shape identities, and influence cultures. Welcome back to Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa podcast. I am so excited to be joined by the visionary behind this podcast and my co-host, Henry. Welcome, Henry. Indeed, thank you. It's great to be with you. I don't know how much of a visionary I am. I just, um, I'm, a, I'm a person like you who really likes to hear people's stories and really likes to hear uh, particularly about stories about how people have uh, sought out God for the problems that they see in the marketplace and ask for his strength to get out there and make it happen. And we've got a great one today. We've got, we've got Didier, who we're going to call Didi, even though it sounds like a name that's similar to yours and it might create some confusion with our audience. But Didi de Villiers is a man in fashion. And we know that fashion is such a big industry worldwide. We've never had anybody on the program from fashion in any of the different podcasts we've had. 
And yet when we hear from God about the things that were to help people with before we share the gospel, like for instance, we're supposed to help them with food if they're hungry, if they need shelter, if they need clothing, we need to be able to address those needs. And then with that, we have a chance to share the reason for the hope we have with gentleness and respect. And so that's a pretty big category, clothing, fashion, all, all those things we haven't addressed at all. And we've got a great person to do that. And so, Diddy, thank you for joining. Love to hear, as we do with all of our guests, a bit of an autobiographical flyover before we get more into the just the essence of what God's doing through you right now. So who are you and where do you come from? Well, yeah, I'm basically in fashion. Uh, you know, that's my job. Uh, recently, we moved, uh, we bought a farm here in the Winelands area, and we're living sort of against the mountain here. So it's really, really amazing to wake up and see this every morning. And, you know, we're very thankful. There's a lot of a lot of work to be done, but we are going to set up our warehouse and our showroom and everything here on the farm and then sort of make it a lifestyle. We've extended recently, we've extended the lifestyle to olive oil and some wine and some MCC. You guys would know that as maybe champagne or sparkling wine. And so this area lends itself to that. And we also have a nice orchard on the farm where we're going to harvest our first this very month. Yeah, so I've uh, grown up in South Africa, and I lost my parents, my father, when I was seven, and my mother when I was 15. And early in my life, obviously after that was a major shift, and I became sort of a rebel at that stage. Uh, I wanted to be a professional tennis player, and I was going to go to Florida to school there. And only my mother and I and the coach knew about it. So when she passed, obviously your whole world sort of collapses, you know, and... Um, I started to ask the question, you know, what is the meaning to life and the who am I question and so on. And they sent me to a boys school far, far away from where I lived. And then you have to sort of discover who am I now, you know, so you accept what has happened to you. But I somehow, I mean, God to me then was sort of religion, I would say, you know, and so of course, I, I went to church when I was a kid and so on. But it was more you do right and you do wrong. And then God would say, okay, you, you're not so bad or whatever. And then you go to heaven. And then I thought, but they outside of that, it was completely separate in my mind. I thought that, you know, there must be a link to sort of super knowledge that you can tap into. And then you can understand what life is about. And I mean, I read books like Edward Bono, Lateral Thinking, and so on and so on. But I never thought that that link is through faith in Christ, through faith in God. And when I was around about 21 years old, I started straight away, straight after army. We had to do two years service. And uh, I started to say to myself, well, you know, I looked at life and I had some other business things that I started doing. And I was just like, if this is what life is about, I'd rather start to search for truth now. And I want to see what Christianity really is about. And I started to go to different churches and so on and so on. And then suddenly God just grabbed me. And I was completely blown away that the answer is in him. And I remember I started reading chapters like Romans 7. And I couldn't understand. You know, I, I didn't have a pastor or somebody that guided me. I just took the Bible and I started reading. And I was so blown away by I was very much into philosophy and so on. And I could not believe what I was reading, you know, and then I just got stuck into it. And eventually I started studying theology as well. And I spent uh, three years studying while I was working part-time. And I was uh, still, I'm so blessed and so amazed at God every day. You know, it's really been an amazing journey since then. So tell us, so you've got this really unique entrepreneurial 
background and service in that you make African streetwear. And I've got to tell you that I'm not 100% sure I know what American streetwear is. And so help us to envision this. You might have some of that on right now, but most of people will engage with this on the audio portion. What is streetwear? And then what is uniquely African streetwear? Yeah, so you know what guys do, mostly retailers, they sort of categorize certain styles. So you've got couture and you've got premium denim and you've got urban, the guys used to say urban, and then you get streetwear and so on. But streetwear has changed so much in the past couple of years that you get high-end brands that also sort of tap into that market and then maybe do a collab with other streetwear brands. And it's not like, you can say, a surfing brand. You might know the surfing brands in America. It's more sort of just T-shirts, surf shorts, and so on. But streetwear, it actually starts from shoes up. So you get from just normal stuff to really designer stuff. And what we do is we design all in-house from the beginning to end. And it's basically like hoodies and T-shirts and jackets and denim and sweats and, of course, sneakers as well. So what led you into fashion? You found your faith and then God called you to fashion. Is that how it happened? Yeah, well, actually, as a kid, I always loved fabric. And I always, my mom was a crazy dresser and she used to travel a lot. And then she would bring back these jackets and these crazy stuff. And I used to love it. And I used to love the sound of certain fabrics and even the smell and so on. I I really enjoyed fashion, but also fabrics. And yeah, so I started with doing t-shirts in those days from China. And then it just grew in and I started a tailoring store that we did dresses for other designers. And then suddenly you see your design on a Sunday newspaper that some celebrity is wearing. And I just started to play more and more and more because, you know, you got to sort of build up your confidence because you don't sort of know that you have what it takes to have a brand. Yeah. So after that, actually in high school, me and a couple of other guys, we started to think, why don't we start a store called Magens and this store will cater only for us. In other words, you know, those days it was obviously the adults running the stores and they didn't necessarily know what the kids wanted. So we thought, why don't you start a store and then you call it Magens and then we incorporate all the different brands in there and we stock only what we like or what we enjoy. And later up after my army service. I don't know where any of those guys are today. But after that, I thought to myself, why not start a brand called Magens? Now, in those days, it was around about 91 and so on. I asked many, many people on the streets, what would you think of starting an African brand? And 99.99%, and this is across the board, all cultures and so on, they said, it's a stupid idea who would buy an African brand and so on you know so but it just stuck to me and God just kept on putting it in my heart and I felt I felt like a vibe you know and a a certain creativity that just sort of bursted out when I thought of doing it and then I registered the brand and yeah so from then on just I mean I didn't know how you're gonna how are you going to manage a brand? How are you going to do? I didn't have any guidance. There weren't any other African designers that I can go and call on and say, how do you do it? And so on and so on. Not even speaking about international, you know, it was sort of a, a hit and miss, but I did what I love. South Africa was, of course, we came through a period of apartheid and it was very stiff, very, you can say, controlled and so on. It's almost, uh, I don't want to say like the Germans used to be, but it was really hard. You know, the guys didn't play around the government. But then when Nelson Mandela came along, and other leaders, it just changed everything. We had our first democracy in 94. And what happened then is, firstly, in music, the guys just started to express themselves. And they started a whole new genre called Kwaito music. And they just 
did what they want to do. And they just sang and it was completely a different sound. So in fashion, My James was the brand that started to express itself. So there were many elements in the area of common grace that God has blessed South Africa with. I mean, there was no war, there was no bloodshed, and there was a lot of forgiveness and love and neighborly things in the air that was amazing in that period. And really, we are so blessed to have been part of that. So, yeah, so we just started to express ourselves, for instance, uh, president after Nelson Mandela, his name is Tabun Beki. He had a speech called I'm an African. You must Google that. It's a very beautiful speech. And that inspired us to put just African on it. Nobody, nobody has done that because you're like, why do you want to do Who's going to wear that? You know, so, but it's, again, it was just that feeling like this is right and let's just do it. And you can sort of play around, you know, with what you want to do. You didn't want to follow European fashion or American. You just did what you loved. Yeah, so we did that. And you'll be surprised how many, I mean, a lot of guys came and white guys, black guys, brown guys, all sorts just came and sort of celebrated that Africanness. That was really amazing to see that. Uh, and they did it through clothing, of course, you, we enjoy expressing ourselves through clothes, you know. So, yeah, that was an amazing period. I love that you went from a period where 99% of people told you this wouldn't work and it wasn't, didn't make any sense to sticking with it and then being at the right place at the right time when the industry was ready for you. What kept you during those periods of doubt? Because many of the listeners, you know, have ideas that God has placed in them, but they just, the noise and the opposition kills the idea. What kept you through those dark days? You know, I sort of never got despondent. It's as if God just placed it in your life and you just followed it. I never doubted it or so, you know, I just kept on going. And I mean, to give you an idea, so the South African clothing stores were mainly run by either, and this is our context, you know, America, you guys might find some of the things strange or whatever, but we have 11 different cultures. So uh, clothing stores were mostly run by uh, either Indian guys or Jewish guys. Okay, so they were sort of coining the market. So they had all the stores and so on. But a lot of the guys didn't understand what was going on on the streets. They didn't understand the excitement, the amazingness that it was a new breeding of people that came together. So it was there was something in there in those days and they didn't get it they were like but why do you want to call it my gents some of the guys even went as far as saying but it's they want to say it's so black or they want to say it's so this is one uh, magazine asked us uh, is it uh, is it a black or is it a white brand you know it's so stuck in color we just went through that why do you want to go back there so we said you know it's an orange brand i mean because our logo is orange you know so just to show the person how damaged they are through this period that you think of people in terms of color. And I know, I think America, you go through a lot of this right now, but yes, I mean, sometimes some of those things just return into history, you know, and I think sometimes we ourselves haven't learned that lesson well enough. But yeah, so we just kept on going. And then we did our first international show in Vegas in 2003. And the international market, I mean, you get people from all over the world there, and they were just blown away. And they're like, what? You can't believe you're getting recognized. And these guys go crazier about it than your own people back home. And that was very exciting. So we opened our first retail store in 99. And after 2003, we just said, okay, let's go. Let's open the second one and the third one, the fourth one and so on. And yeah, so that's what we've done. But it's, I think sometimes you, if you don't get that recognition at home and you go abroad and you get 
so much love from the people, you're like, okay, maybe we're on the right track. Because to them, it was new. It wasn't like that brand or that brand and so on. Because again, we just designed what we thought is right and what we like, you know? So I think the guys saw through that with hindsight. And yeah, so they really inspired us. In 2009, you got approached by a giant global brand, but you made a decision to focus your attention back on Africa. And you brought your head offices and all the manufacturing home. And in interviews, you said that that part of the decision came to the idea of character overruling profits. What did that mean? What does that mean? So our first international, in the Western side, international distribution started in France. And we got into really top-end boutiques. And they also immediately just accepted us and so. And it started rolling and we got into other stores. We got into Japan, Canada and so on. And then we started to slip into America. And of course, we didn't really know how to do it. We didn't do it the right way. But a massive, beautiful store group in the States approached us and says, look, we really want you in our stores and so on and so on. But we got advice from someone and they said, look, why? But you don't manufacture in Africa. You're an Africa brand. Why don't you manufacture in Africa? And that sort of sat with me and the team. We had to make a major call. We got offers from guys and they were like, why do you want to stop? Because we wanted to go back to South Africa and then start to train factories in Africa how to make a premium garment. And that in itself, of course, the guys over there said, look, man, we'll give you a massive, to us, it's massive, to you guys, it's good. But to us, it was amazing. And they also wanted to buy into the brand. There's lots of money that's going to flow in and so on and so on. But as a South African, you find that most often international guys don't understand the significance of what has happened here. First of all, I'm a, a white dude. And the Neymar Gens has really started in a majority of circle of black environment. So the name means the guys. So if I say to you guys, by guys, although there's a lady present, she would not be offended. She would understand what I mean by guys. It doesn't mean that she's male or, you know, so in yeah. the same way, Magens, the same thing. So we had to make a call and say, imagine that brother or sister back home is feeling that this is his or her brand and they really love that they can be expressed through the brand and all of a sudden you sell the brand out to somebody else because we had to pull somebody in to handle that big uh, group and then when you pull in that group they're going to take over like 51 percent of the company and then they won't make it they won't respect the history and the ethos and the dna of the brand where it's coming from so then we had to make a massive call to go back to africa and say Let's put the money aside and let's think of that dude, that brother, that sister in Africa that's going to be hurt by that. Imagine once again, it's a might see it as again as a white dude that's selling us out and so on, you know. So we had to, if, if it was another name, I mean, it would have been another story, but we didn't want to cause further hurt in guys' lives. So we took a massive decision and it was a joyful decision, difficult uh, financially, uh, difficult distribution wise, because we had to stop everything. And then we closed our office in, our head office was in Paris. We closed the office in Paris. Of course, the French and these guys, they completely went crazy and went mad and thought, we nuts. And they couldn't understand that thing, you know. So, But the amazing thing is that God sort of, on your journey, on your ups and your downs, what God really wants to do is he wants to build character. I mean, as believers, you have an amazing place waiting. You have a mansion waiting for you. There's so much. We already know that. So you don't rush after possessions or you don't rush after, I mean, finances are important and in business finances are very important, but you don't make that your main 
And I believe that character is what God's purpose is in your life, in your journey. So kindness, patience, love, joy, self-control, and so on, for those things to be shaped. And on the journey, it's important that in your life, that that also flows over in others' life, that you inspire others on that journey as well. I love this message about character. I think it's so important. And I'm just curious, you know, you heard the voices of people back home in your heart. How did you stay close to that pulse to hear that voice saying, you know, this is important to have a presence in Africa? I mean, what connections did you have or what source of information or stimulus really stood in your head? Because it's quite unusual. Sometimes as entrepreneurs, we wonder, are we catering to shareholder value? Is it our customers that dictate? In this case, you were talking about the heritage. The heritage yes. spoke to you. And I'm just wondering, how do you distill that? How do you distill between the voices and how do you determine who has the strongest influence on your character? You know, when I go, say, to Europe and I travel back, the moment I go through passport control, there's a word, to in Zulu. It means brother, but it's far deeper than that. Because even culturally, there's a depth of emotion that maybe the West do not really have or do not have as strongly as in Africa. There's this brotherhood. When I say brotherhood, I mean brothers and sisters. There's this depth that doesn't leave you. It doesn't leave. And a lot of guys that leave, say, South Africa when they thought it's going to go crazy, maybe they didn't feel that then. But you often, when we speak to, say, expats, they yearn to come back to feel that love. You know, there's a, and of course, this is in the area of a common grace, mostly not in saving grace. So God really allows even the unsaved to experience his character in some way and to feel it and to see it, you know, even though they might not recognize it as his person and as his character, he graciously allows people to experience that. So I think in that area in South Africa, that was really prominent. It was deep. And yeah, so I just love Africa and I love the people in Africa and I love the diversity. Uh, I love the struggles that we go through, you know, in South Africa alone. As I said, we've got 11 cultures. You can imagine 11 cultures with different things and different loves and different likes, but we love each other and we love the unity, but we also love the diversity and we embrace the diversity. So if somebody is Zulu, Tswana, Koza, English, Afrikaans, whatever, we embrace all the different cultures, you know. There are times that we sort of, almost play the victim when we are weak. So we would blame the colonizers, we would blame this and that. But often you find that beauty that flows through, where that love comes through, where that love breaks through. And that is really amazing to experience. And uh, yeah, I don't know, it's just that Africa's got a place in my heart that I cannot just rip out. That's super encouraging to hear. And uh, I think that we all, I think that there's something that God put in all of us that yearns for that type of belonging and brotherhood. And as I listen to this, I find myself yearning for that type of community as well. And makes me want to come back to Cape Town and, and root for the Springboks again. I want to take this uh, conversation in a slightly different direction, which is back to the fashion part. This is an overgeneralization. I got to be really careful here. But a lot of times fashion is not thought of as being an industry. And maybe this is just our blind spot because we haven't covered it as by our own admission when we start off the podcast, but it's not thought of as an industry. That's one where lots and lots of Christians very motivated by their faith and a desire to know God and make him known are found. There's some amount of just being really in culture at the time. There's some amount of fashion being 
leading edge, the more skin that's shown, the better type of thing. And I, again, my generalizations here are convicting me. And you're about through your answer here, you're going to about to correct me and any other folks that are thinking this way. But talk to us about being a faith-driven figure in your industry and what that looks like. And then other advice that you give other Christians that are stepping into the creative industries as well, fashion or otherwise. Yeah, you know, it's true what you say. I mean, I think you would say the same as rock and roll and hip hop and so on. You find a lot of pride, arrogance and drugs and so on in, in, in the scene. And you're in the middle of it, you know, so you are there to be a light and God gives opportunities. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I've spoken to, not as to convert them or, or whatever, but we just have a truth conversation about what is life about, you know, and it's beautiful. Uh, I mean, often guys would, I mean, your parents, for instance, they would say to you, no, those guys are bad and they, they're terrible and look at them and so on. But these are just genuine people that also uh, need the truth and also need God. And they just don't know, you know, and maybe they have certain perceptions about what life is about. I mean, but who are we to say that we haven't had that, you know, it's just more, I think, more expressive in fashion. But I'm a believer and I'm a believer that designs, that's doing a brand. So when we express ourselves, for instance, you guys now know the Me Too movement and all that sort of stuff. But way before that, we expressed things about gender violence. So we had discussions with women, many women, and we cried. I mean, I remember one conversation, cried for about three hours uh, with a lady that was raped and by big boys that we all know around the world, you know, and we've had discussions with men that were fashion models and they had been sexually molested and so on. And through that, God is putting that in your path and you can beautifully speak into that life, but also you can express on the ramp the issues that are out there that people don't speak. And yeah, so through fashion, although it sounds like, and of course it is, there's a lot of arrogance and pretense and so on in fashion, but there's also an opportunity to speak out. Uh, we had, for instance, one t-shirt that just said, forgive. And, you know, I, I was in those days, I was still manufacturing in Vietnam and the Vietnamese guy is sitting at the table and I explained to them uh, the graphic and whatever and the t-shirt and the design, and we give him all the information. And I say, but guys, why were they so slow? So he said to me, Didi, forgive. <laughs> so he understood the message, you know, so it got through to him. So, yeah, so it was good to get that back, you know. So there's lots of opportunity. And so, yeah, so those things, we find opportunities in fashion that we can really go out there. Didi, you actually exemplify what we call redemptive entrepreneurship. Truly, truly remarkable. I mean, you've just walked us through the entire business model of fashion from your mindset as a designer to making sure that the factories are not only employing decent people and paying them decent wages, but also setting a culture of excellence and a culture of ownership and love, which is blessing people. And you're shaping an industry. I mean, the courage that you've just exemplified through your life is, is truly remarkable. And I'm sure the listeners are in awe, like I am, as you've described some of the difficult tasks you've taken on and how you've essentially helped people come to salvation and to know themselves through very, very difficult conversations. So much to unpack there, and we just don't have enough time. But if I could take on one question as we wrap up, it's really the courage to swim against the tide. Because, you know, this is an industry that is going through an evolution, and especially streetwear, with the link to the rap culture, the link to, you know, where do you get the courage every day to swim against the tide in your industry and to take on those difficult conversations? 
You know, surprisingly, I think a lot of guys are open for that conversation. I mean, not maybe corporates and corporates would say one-on-one, maybe the directors or so would say to you, yeah, 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 we with you. But I'm not sure that when they're in the boardroom, that they have the courage to stand up and say enough, this is enough. A lot of guys in South African context say they want to do good, but again, it's just marketing. For instance, we have a thing that we call a BE, which means you've got to employ more people of color, but it just doesn't happen that fast. And when it happens, the guys that are put into certain positions, they're not equipped and people expect them to be equipped immediately which is impossible. You know, there's a period. We've got to not have a short-term vision. It's got to be a 30, 40, 50-year vision instead of just they've got to perform right now. You know, we've got to start somewhere, you know. And as a white person in South Africa and as a believer, you've got to say, but what is love? What is love in this context? And you've got to sort of dive into that other person's life and not think that you understand it, but try to listen and try to grasp what it means to them and then see how you can help in that context. Again, our purpose here is not to gather as much as we can, but to, to see where God has placed you in his providence and then to go out and love first. Love him first, but also love those around you and then apply it. What is the significance of love in your context? Yeah, so I think that's a big part of what we aim to do. Of course, we fail again and again every day, but we keep on reminding ourselves. And when Day and I speak, we keep on coming back to that. And he would correct me, I would correct him. And we have lots of discussions about these things around the table because him and I are in charge of the design. So we got to set the direction. So yeah, but it's a lot of fun, a lot of excitement, a lot of things that are happening, also tears and honesty. And so on, they're just flowing, flowing in, you know, naturally. So we, we really are blessed to be part of this journey. Diddy, I'm grateful for your time. I'm grateful for your faithfulness and being such a great voice for the gospel and for justice and just an inspiration in the fashion industry and in South Africa and just around the world. And you've done it for a long time and we're all encouraged by it. One of the things that we like to do, or the thing we like to do as we close out every one of our podcast interviews is with the belief that God's word is alive and he speaks to us through the Bible and his word is to ask our guests if there's something recently that they feel that God has spoken to them about through his word. And maybe it's today, maybe it's something last week or some other time, but What have you heard from God through his word? You know, recently I'm going through the thing that's part of all of us, that you get these ideas in your mind and then you sort of, somebody says something to you and then you take that words, those words that they are saying, and then somehow you twist the meaning of those words and then you take that as truth. And it took me back to Genesis 3 where the snake came to Eve and he said, what? Did he really say you may not eat of any of these trees? You know, and she was like, she corrected him, said, no, he said only that one tree that we may have the knowledge of good and evil. And then he said, but ah, but you know what, if you do, then you can become like God and you will know this and that and the other. And it sort of twisted her. And what she did, she took it. She loved the tree and she forgot completely about what God said, forgot about that, pushed that out of the way, and then even influenced Adam. And Adam, as a man, he didn't stand his ground and say, no, that is wrong. I'm not going to do it. So it is as if, as woman, you naturally have that some desire. Now, in, in the believer's life, it's sort of in the old man and, of course, also in the flesh. But you come and you, you sort of want to 
twist to control and the man is irresponsible. We just want to not cause a, a scene or whatever, just like, okay, yeah, let's just do it. Let's just do this. Or, and we don't take ownership and don't take leadership. You know, so God is really speaking to me and that because I am weak in that area. So there are often that I'm like, okay, yeah, let's just go. Let's just overlook it and just go on and not be firm and say, no, it's not right. Let's go this, even if it's your wife, even if it's your kids or your partners or whoever. Yeah, so that is something that I'm studying at the moment that I'm going through and trying to apply in my life in all areas. Yeah, that's a great word. It's a great word, encouragement for me. What is culture telling me that surely God isn't trying to tell you that you can't do this or that you should do that? So that's a great encouragement for me and all of our audience. So thank you for being with us. Indeedy, as always, just great doing this with you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. It's awesome to be here. And I hope I meet all of you in person one day and come to Cape Town. You're welcome here. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve the community and see listeners tune in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a foundation group with other faith-driven entrepreneurs like yourself. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with your peers from your backyard across the continent or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at africa.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of all our friends. Thanks to the volunteers leading entrepreneur groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your city and country. We are grateful for you and hope you'll continue to share this with friends.